Romans chapter 11. And I'm going to read all 36 verses as we get started. Romans 11. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. That word God forbid there means we would say perish the thought. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. What ye not what the scripture saith of Elias? How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. What saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself seven thousand men, which have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, then, at this present time, there also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more work. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath attained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, and bow down their back all way. I say then, Have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall salvation has come unto the Gentiles, for to provoke them to jealousy. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree, wert grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I might graft in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God, and them which fell, severity, but toward thee, goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert graft contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, There shall come out of Zion a deliverer, the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, 
Even so have these also now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. O oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are the judgments, and his ways past finding out! For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Tell the message this morning simply, not cast away, but they refused to believe. They, were, they refused to believe. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we pray that to meet together. We thank you for your love and your mercies. Thank you for your word and the instruction that it gives us. And Father, we look into the word of God today that we'd be encouraged and challenged and strengthened. Help us to realize and understand, Father, that your promises will be brought to pass. Your promises to us and even to your people, Israel, uh, your earthly people. So, Father, I pray help us understand these truths. Help us to be uh, warned as well that we be not high-minded and turn away in unbelief as they did. But, Father, help us to walk in faith. And just thank you for what you do, we pray. Have your will and way. May you be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Somebody has said how true it is that change is the only thing that remains unchanged in the world. It is so in the affairs and fortunes of men, though the brief, through the brief lifetime of each of us, we have witnessed change all about us. But one thing we can be sure of in this changing world is the future of Israel. Many times it looks doubtful with anti-Semitism so prevalent in our world today, but there is a divine destiny which shapes the course of this people and restore them to national blessing. And we have seen the beginning of this restoration come to pass with Israel being established as a nation, but their future is here declared in Romans chapter 11. And it is not that they were cast away. It's simply that they refused to believe. They refused to believe. And so I want to notice several things from this passage this morning. You know, considering the nation of Israel, you know, Paul asks the question, he starts out with a question, hath God cast away his people? And again in verse 2, God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Now, and he gives several uh, uh, uh Evidences of the fact that God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. First of all, there has always been a faithful remnant. Always. Uh, you know, the word cast away means repudiated or rejected. And, of course, foreknew means that God uh, clearly saw beforehand. And he made promises to Abraham and his seed. Those promises were eternal and we, we, we understand that there's always been a faith remnant. And we see this, first of all, in individuals like Paul. If you notice in verse 1, he says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the, tribe, of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. So there, we see there, there are individuals that have been saved, and there still are individual Jews being saved to this day, like Paul. 
that give testimony that God hadn't completely cast away his people. You know, even in, even in Bible times, there were individuals. Uh, in in uh, Luke chapter 2, <clears throat> Luke chapter 2, excuse me, and we have Simeon, two, two characters, two older people, uh, who give testimony of true salvation. Uh, and first one is, we look at here is Simeon, Luke 2 verse 25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, same was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Ghost upon him. So when it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, he was waiting for the Messiah. He was waiting for the Messiah to come. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit in the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. See, he, he was looking for the one who would be the salvation of God, the Messiah, and when he saw Jesus Christ, he said, I have seen, this is he, this is he. This is the one I've been, I've been trusting that would come. And now my eyes see him. See, he was a man that we would say was born again. He received the Messiah as his Savior and Lord. Likewise, Anna, in uh, verse 36, says, And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. She was a widow of about four score and four years which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And she coming in at that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake to him of him to all that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. If you want to be redeemed from your sins, this is he, is what she said. This is the one you need to put your trust in. You see, there have always, and, and throughout the New Testament, there were individuals that received the Messiah as our Lord and Savior. Proof that God has not cast away His people. There has always been a surviving remnant even throughout the history of Israel. In times of great apostasy, there was, there was a remnant that were true to the promises of God. They, they were true to the sacrifices of God and they looked forward to the Messiah that would come. And he gives the example here of Elias. Notice in verse 2, God hath not cast away His people which He foreknew. What ye not, what the scriptures say of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself seven thousand men, which have not bowed the knee to, Baal, to the image of Baal. Even so, at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So even during Elijah's time, you know, Elijah's time was a great a time of great apostasy in Samaria. Jezebel was the queen, and Ahab was the king. Maybe we could, we really, you know, Jezebel ran things. But anyway, and, and you know, Elijah says, I'm the only one left. Remember, he fled from, Elijah, uh, from, from Jezebel and said, I'm the, Lord, I'm the only one left. Just take my life. And the Lord said, another 7,000. You know, Jezebel had tried to completely wipe out. She'd killed many of the prophets. She tried to wipe them out. 
But the Lord said, no, Elijah, there are 7,000 that are still not bowed the knee to Baal, that are still standing true to the promises of God. During the captivity, the remnant appears in Jews like Ezekiel, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Mordecai, Esther, and others like them. After the captivity, a remnant returned to the land under Ezra and Nehemiah. In New Testament times and throughout history, there's always been a remnant of Jews who repented and put their faith and trust in the Messiah of Israel. The apostles were all Jews. There were priests who were saved, and many throughout the, the nation. Despite the antagonism they faced, some of the majority of the nation and the leaders. There were many. Acts chapter 6 verse 7 says, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Acts 9.31 it says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. So Judea would be the southern part, and Samaria is in the middle, and Galilee was the northern part. So throughout all of Israel, there were, there were churches. Though they were the minority of people, yet there's a remnant. See, that turned to the Lord, that received their Christ, and they were multiplied. So there's always been a remnant. God has not cast away His people. There's always been a remnant. There's always been a, some of that, that have truly believed and been faithful. So notice, secondly, this election is an election of grace. Notice verse 5 says, Even so then at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace then there is no more works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then there is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. That's kind of a tongue-twisting sentence there, verse there, but basically it's what he's saying, this election is of grace. You know, the word election means the act of God's free will by which before the foundation of the world he decreed his blessings to certain persons. It's really the idea of choosing. God called Abraham out of the earth of the Chaldees. He chose him. Now that was a sovereign choice. And see, there are, there are some that will say, you know, God chooses before the foundation of the world and chooses some to be saved and some to be lost. No, that's not how God chooses. That really, really doesn't have anything to do with our salvation. It's not of works. It's of grace. It's of grace. This, again, it's not based on works. That is, it's not based on earning one's salvation. But God elects or He chooses according to His foreknowledge. Now, if you notice in chapter 9, verse 11, chapter 9, verse 11, it says, For the children, talk about Jacob and Esau, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil. So the no works involved here. Neither one had done any good or evil at this point. That the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. So, they not being born, it was not of works, because they hadn't been born yet. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, 
He says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. The Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. See, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You know, in John 6, verse 70, Jesus answered them and said, Have not I chosen you twelve, one of you is a devil? Now you might say, Jesus elected Judas. He chose him. It's the same word. It means the same thing. He said, Not have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil. Now what I'm getting at is this. God knows your heart. He knew your heart ten years ago. He knew your heart before you were born. That's kind of hard for us to fact, to comprehend. He knew your heart before you were born. He said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Jeremiah, I have elected you to be a prophet before you were even born. But he said, I knew you. You see, God's election is according to his foreknowledge. God knows what your desires will be 20 years from now. That's kind of scary, isn't it? Or it can be reassuring. Look at, look at Psalm 139. <clears throat> Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought that I'm having right now. Afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast set me behind me for, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as a, dark, as a day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Notice, my substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, in all thy book all my members written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. You know, and theologians say he's talking there about our DNA. You know, scientists just figured out, you know, they can do things with DNA. God knew your DNA before you were formed. 
How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. You know, God knows all about us. God knew us before we were born. He knew about us. He knew what we would do with our life. He knows what our heart's desires are. He knows what our intentions are. He knows what our motives are. And this election of God was of His sovereign choice. It was of grace. It was of grace. Now, I want you to notice thirdly, the blindness of Israel has brought the focus of the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, In verse 11 through 25, and I'm not going to, for sake of time, read all this, but Verse 11, it says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their falls, salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. Now, so the blindness of Israel has brought, you know, their blindness their refusal to accept him as their Lord and Savior, has brought the focus of the gospel to the Gentiles. And this is even spoken of by our Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 21. In Matthew chapter 21. And it's hinted even in the Old Testament. But Matthew 21, Jesus spoke about this when he was speaking... um, to the Pharisees, he gave them a parable. Matthew twenty-one thirty-three says, Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower, let it out to husbandmen, and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that might receive of the fruits thereof of it. The husbandmen took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him. Let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. And when the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen which shall render him the fruits in their season. Jesus said unto them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in their eyes, in our eyes. Therefore I say unto you, and here it is, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And notice verse 45 says, And when the chief priests and the Pharisees had heard this parables, they perceived that he spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. And of course, so we see in this parable, the Lord, the God, the Father, is the householder, and the husbandman is Israel. The servants 
are the prophets who preached and sought fruit for the householder who is God. What they do to the prophets? They stoned them. Many of them they stoned. They refused to heed their warnings and their instruction. They stoned them. And so, of course, the Son here speaks of Christ. And they continue to reject the Lord. In fact, in, in, in chapter 23, verses 31 to 39, again he says, Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves, that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets, and wise men, and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues, and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Berechias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation." So, and so what he is saying is, you know, you, you've been the, you're the children of those that killed the prophets, and you're guilty of all the blood of, all the way from Abel to Zacharias. Zacharias is the last prophet slain in the Old Testament. The culmination of that is going to be they're going to kill the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so because of that, Jesus said, the gospel of the kingdom will be taken from you and given to another nation, to the Gentiles. And since their rejection of their Messiah, the focus of the gospel of the kingdom is to the Gentiles. And it has, as Paul said, it has provoked Israel to jealousy. You know, they have been under, think about that, the nation of Israel. They have been under Gentile dominion since Babylon and have had to rely on Gentile power for help and protection. But more important than that, Gentiles have claimed their Jehovah as their God and have accepted their Jehovah as their God. Well, they are still without their God. And they're also without their sacrifices. They have neither. You think there is some jealousy here? And he illustrates it with a grafting into a tree. The all, you know, he talks about grafting here, and I understand a little bit about grafting. My dad used to do it with apple trees, and he did it successfully. He's very good at it. Um, I don't have that fruit tree hand, I don't think, that he, that he had. But anyway, the olive tree, of course, is Israel, and that they're the natural branches. And, you know, of course, you know, to them was given the oracles of God. There's many advantages to an Israelite. They, they were given the oracles of God or the word of God. To the, through them came the Messiah, and, and to them is the promises. But by their rejection, their natural branches were broken off, if you will, as Paul says, and we Gentiles, like wild branches, have been grafted in. And, and you know, so to graft, what you do is you you cut a slice, a slice of spot in the in the main part of the tree, and you take a, a branch and you slice it on an angle, angle, and you, you you it's like surgery. You fasten it to that spot on the tree that you scrape open, 
and and then you tape it or some way fasten it on there so it stays, and the tree begins to nourish that wild branch. And it'll bear fruit. And it takes nourishment from the tree from which it didn't come. And so he said, we Gentiles are like graft in. We're receiving the benefits of the root of Israel. While they're broken off. And this this jealousy, of course, was evident in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts, by the reactions Paul received from the Jews when multitude of Gentiles heard the gospel gladly. For example, Acts 13.45, But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken to Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Verse 50, But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. Which is Thessalonica, I believe. Uh, in verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 2, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Uh, in Thessalonica, in chapter 17, verse 13, but the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea. They came hither also and stirred up the people. And even Pilate knew that the Pharisees and Sadducees brought Jesus out of envy. I'm telling you, the Jews are an envious people of we Gentiles. Because we've received their Jehovah as Lord and Savior. And they're without their God and they're without their sacrifices. They don't have anything. But Despite all that, all Israel who turn to the Lord will be saved. Notice verse 26 and 27. It says, And so all Israel shall be saved, as is written, There shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. All Israel shall be saved. Now, does that mean for the Jews that there is some kind of universal salvation? Yeah, he said Israel is an elect nation, but he said it is of grace and not of works. It is of grace. You know, does that, you know, so when it says all Israel shall be saved, does that mean there's some kind of Universal salvation, even of Jews like Judas? I've heard that. From a man who, to me, was ignorant concerning the meaning of this passage. And here's why I said it. Go to Romans chapter 2, verse 28. Romans 2 and verse 28. 29. Understand that statement in Romans 11.26 in context of the entire book of Romans. Again, Scripture does not contradict itself. So you have to keep it in its context and understand it in its context. Chapter 2, verse 28 and 29 says this, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. 
Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And the circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men but of God. So you know what the Bible is saying here? Sorry, Ben Shapiro. You're a Jew outwardly. But you're not inwardly. You're not a true Jew. Because you haven't had your heart circumcised. In other words, you haven't repented and accepted your Messiah as your Lord and Savior. So you're not, by God's standard, a true Jew. Look also at chapter 9. Chapter 9, verses uh, 6 through 8. Chapter 9, verse 6. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. So what's he saying here? Notice, they which are the children of flesh, these are not the children of God. These are not the promised seed of Abraham. Even though they can trace their genealogy back to Abraham, they are not God's chosen. They're not the children of promise. Who's Isaac a type of? He's a type of Jesus Christ. He was the promised son. Jesus Christ is the promised son. And a true Jew will put his faith and trust in the promised son. The Lord Jesus Christ. Isaac was put on an altar and, 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 you know, and, and is, a, is a type of the resurrection. Hebrews tells us that. Even Revelation chapter 2 verse 9 says this. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do you know what that tells me? The synagogue is not God's meeting place anymore. It's Satan's. And the Jews that still go to the synagogue are going to the synagogue of Satan. They're not God's promise. They're not true Jews. They can say they are Jews. They are physically Jews. But they are not Jews in the eyes of God. They are not true Israelites. So a true Jew, a true child of Abraham and Isaac, is one who believed God, believed His promises, and accepted Messiah, the promised seed, the seed of the woman. Jesus is the promised seed of the woman of Genesis 3.15. And so when it says, all Israel shall be saved, it means that all who turn from their unbelief and receive the Messiah will be saved. Now, 
Henry Benick was a he uh, was a Jewish man. He's the one that told my father-in-law he couldn't be a Jew. His nose wasn't big enough. But um, anyway, Henry was a Jewish man. He got saved, and his his parents actually had, had completely cut him off, disinherited him. Um, but he he was a he became a director for International Board of Jewish Missions. And this is this is how he he said this is what I call myself. I call myself a completed Jew. I'm a true Jew. Completed one. Because Christ is the completion of all those Old Testament sacrifices. Go, but look at look at you know, so so the Lord, so all it says, and all Israel shall be saved. It's talking about all those who turn from unbelief. And go to go for this, go to Zechariah chapter twelve. Zechariah chapter twelve. Zechariah chapter twelve. And verse 1, <clears throat> I'm going to read several uh, passages here. Re- Re- Zechariah 12, 1 says, The burden of the word of the Lord for, for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all people round about. When they shall be in siege, in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. So again, this is, you know, you know I'm talking about when, when Israel, those who, of Israel who turned the Lord in unbelief, and I'm laying groundwork here, because this is, this is tribulational. When it says all nations are going to be gathered together, all people are going to be gathered together against Israel. And... Uh, come against it, and of course that will take place during the tribulation period. And then in uh, uh, chapter 13, uh, verse 6, it says, And one shall say unto him, uh, <clears throat> well, let, let, let's, this is not chronological, this is a little confusing because it's not chronological. Go, look at chapter 14, and then I'm going to go back to chapter 13. Because it gives you parts, and then it goes back, and then it goes forward. You know, it jumps around. But chapter 14, verse 1 says, But the, behold, the day of the Lord cometh. Thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. The city shall be taken, and the houses rifled. And the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity. The word rifled there doesn't mean shot through. It means it's, they're, they're going to they're destroy it. Um, Anyway, uh, women ravished, half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from that day. Then the Lord, then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of the battle. Of course, that would be the battle of Armageddon, where then the Lord's going to intervene. But it says, you know, the half of the city is going to be taken. Now, if you notice in uh, verse chapter, th- go back to chapter thirteen, uh, verse. Six says that one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, notice, two parts therein shall be cut off and die. But the third shall be left therein. 
And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. And they shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. You know, the worst day for Israel is yet to come. The worst time. You know, all the world would be gathered against them to destroy them once and for all. And Zechariah 14.1 describes that and some other places. Matthew, and Jesus said in Matthew 24.21, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. But, and two-thirds of them are going to die. And one-third is going to turn to the Lord. They're going to say, what are these wounds? They're going to, uh, in fact, uh, chapter, I thought I had it wrote down, but I don't see it. Um, Oh, chapter 14, or chapter 12 and verse 10 says, And I will pour upon the house of David, upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for the first, for his firstborn. And then, of course, they're going to say, you know, where do you see these wounds? And they're going to turn to him. But, the, but two-thirds of them are going to die. But the point is this, I want to make, verse 9 of chapter 13. In order to have the salvation of God, you must say, the Lord is my God. Romans 10, 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So in that day, Israel will be refined. And a third of them will cry out to God and say, The Lord is my God. The Lord is my God. There are going to be multitudes. They're going to turn to Him. Revelation 7 talks about 144,000 Jews. During the tribulation, they're going to preach the gospel. Most of them have been martyred. But they will then, in this time of great trial, Turn to the Lord and say, The Lord is my God. The Lord is my God. And so all Israel who turn to the Lord will be saved. But just as Israel turns to the Lord, you know, anyone, Jew or Gentile, that turns to the Lord shall be saved. We must call on the Lord and say, the Lord is my God. So as we conclude this, just several thoughts. You know, God knows you. He has foreknowledge. He knows your heart. He knows your attitude. He knows your intentions. He knows your motives. He knows your thoughts afar off. But He also loves you with an everlasting love. 
You know, he, he said of the children of Israel, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. He never ceased to love this nation of Israel, his chosen people. Jesus loved the Jews. He loved the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets uh, as, and stonest them which are sent against thee. How often I would have gathered thy children together even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings. And you would not. See, Christ died for them too. But they, as we, must choose the Lord as my God. That's what Romans 10.13 means. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so Romans 11 is also not only a statement that Israel will be saved, it's also warning to us not to be high-minded. As he says, but fear. We too must call on the Lord as our God, as our Lord and as our Savior. You know, do you know Him as your Lord and your Savior? Have you surrendered yourself to Him? To faith and trust in Him as your Lord and as your Savior? Are you being obedient to Him?